Have you ever failed? There's a good transition. Have you ever failed in your life? Can I see the hands of every human being who's ever failed in their lives? Look around at the people not raising their hands. Oh, all of a sudden people start slipping their hands up. There's a fail right there. Um, let's talk about some failures this morning. Uh, ninth, in 1631, the London press wanted to like re, uh, what, what call it? not rewrite, but wanted to reprint, there's the word, the King James Bible. It had been out for a, a couple decades, so they wanted to reprint it. And so they ran the print, got everything set up, and then as they kind of read through it one more time before they began to pass it out, they realized they forgot a word. Out of the entirety of Scripture, they found it was missing a word, and it was out of the Ten Commandments. And so they had printed off thousands of Bibles that said, and I quote, Thou shalt commit adultery. So if you ever look up what's called the Wicked Bible, that's, yeah, that, so for the first time, Christians uh, were in full support of burning Bibles in that moment. So that's what actually they did. Um, some of you uh, don't know that even in the story of the Titanic, right before they set sail, they actually decided to make a switch with one of their workers. There was a second lieutenant. They decided to switch out. And so as he head off the ship, he actually left with a key in his pocket he didn't know was there. What is that key for? The key was for a locker. And that locker possessed the only pair of binoculars, the only pair of binoculars that the ship had. And so when they talk about why didn't they see what was coming toward them or what they were going towards, it's because they had to use their own eyes and without a pair of binoculars couldn't see that which we know happened to the Titanic. What about, uh, here we go, 1989. East Germany decided to loosen up its travel restrictions. A man by the name of Gunter Schabowski uh, he was an East German politician. He was given charge of bringing the relaxed rules to the information of the people of Germany by holding a press conference. And so on November the 9th, Chabowski was giving a piece of paper that he didn't care to read before stepping to the podium. The speech was long and boring, but everyone, who was, everyone was alerted when he started talking about the relaxed travel rules between the borders of East Germany and West Germany. Some reporters thought that he was saying that they were being dropped completely. So some of them asked, when does this go into force? And Chabowski started flipping through his pages to try to find the answer. And realizing he was feeling foolish, he just muttered the words immediately right away. The press then began to publish this statement from East, Germans, East Germany's decision to take down the Berlin Wall right away. And the frenzy of people running to the wall started and the military stepped back and just said, we're going to let it happen. How did the Berlin Wall come down? One man made a mistake, made something up, and now we've got freedom between those two countries. What about 1990, NASA, who spent $1.5 billion to build the Hubble telescope that when it got out into space, they realized it takes blurry photos. Oh, this is one of my favorites. I was just talking about this one. In, ninth, in 2000, a company, you may have heard of this company, called Blockbuster. Blockbuster Video had an offer, well, they were offered uh, $50 million to buy Netflix. And their statement was, this will never last. 
as of right now, I just checked the other day, Netflix is worth $100 billion as a company. How about 2013 IT worker James Howell mistakenly throws away an old hard drive containing 7,500 bitcoins worth $1,000 when he bought them, and today they are worth $143 million. I'll give you one last fail. The, the French government buys 2,000 brand new trains that are actually too big for their 1,300 train stations, and they spend $60 billion adjusting every train station. Aren't you glad that Pastor Dave's not up here reading all of your failures? I mean, we all deal with failures, and in the, in the words of the great theologian, Master Yoda, the, a great teacher, failure is. Teaching comes from failure. Failure brings teaching. And I don't know when you've ever felt like a failure. I don't know if you, whenever you felt uh, like you have gone to the place where you have crossed the line and you have been crumbled and humiliated by your failure, and, it, and if you've even known how to recover from that failure. And that's always the big question at hand is, how do I recover from this failure? How do I recover and move myself forward? Because I want you to understand something, that there's a difference between a moment of failure and a spirit of failure. There's a massive difference between a moment of failure and a spirit of failure. It is my worry that too many Christians, when they experience a failure in their life, that they will take within them, they will allow things to possess within them a spirit of failure that simply says that not I have failed, but I am a failure. What is the difference between a moment of failure and a spirit of failure? One is something you can launch from. The other is a grave that you lie in. A moment of failure you can launch from, you can recover from. You may say, well, Pastor Dave, I failed and there's, there's something that hasn't recovered. I'm not going to say a situation could recover or that a relationship is going to recover or that the job is going to recover, but I do believe that regardless of the failure, you can recover in Christ Jesus. And it may not go back to the normal that it had been and go into a normal of what you thought it should be, but there's too many people, especially in the church, that we look at moments and we allow the spirit of failure to possess our life and we begin to walk around and instead of saying, I have failed, we look at our lives and we say, I am a failure. And I am tired. I am tired of laying in the grave of failure. And I don't want you to sit in the grave of failure but we can't talk about Samson and not talk about failure. This is what we got into last week. If you have been with us from the beginning, do you, realize, do you remember that Samson was a child that was foretold about an angel of the Lord. I'm getting a little popping here. An angel of the Lord spoke to the parents of Samson and said, you're going to conceive a child and he's going to uh, he's going to be great. He's going to be full of the Spirit. He's going to have the Nazarite vow, which means that he doesn't need to drink anything of, of alcohol. He's not going to cut his hair. He's to touch no dead things. His life is separated for the Lord. And from there, Samson never truly lived up to his role as a judge in Israel, for which he was there to help not just to defend Israel from the enemy, but to also drive out the enemy. And what we find is he really made his bed with the enemy quite literally. And he finds himself in this place where he is 
he has found himself this a woman named Delilah, who Delilah was paid a massive amount of money to, tr- to try to swindle him, trick him, to, to deceive him into giving up the source of his strength. And the source of his strength wasn't his hair, it's that his life was dedicated to the Lord. And when he let his guard down and he gave up that secret that my life is dedicated and she had his head shaved while he was sleeping, how much of a sleeper are you that somebody can shave your head while you're sleeping? In Bible college, I had, I had long hair in Bible college. I had this tight, I have this natural curl, tight spiral curl that some of you may not believe, but... Um, Bible college, my hair was shaved in the sides and the back. I, and so what I would do, because you're not supposed to have long hair in Bible college. For some reason, the Spirit of God can't be with you with long hair. Um, but it was so long, I could grab it from the top of my hairline and have it touch my chest. And so I would slick it back, and no joke, I went to Sally Beauty Supply, bought a gallon of gel, and every morning I would dip my hand in like this and just slick it back. You know what's worse? My wife dated me through that. (laughs) That's love right there. And and I remember my dad, because I talked to my dad about doing dreadlocks. And he told me I would wake up bald. And I believe that he actually would have done that. My, my uncle, my uncle walked in with a, with a magnetic earring. God bless the 80s. And he's like, he went to say, hey, Hal, what do you think? And my dad, before he can get the words out, my dad ripped it right out of his ear. Welcome to my father. And when he said, your head's going to be shaved while you sleep, I, I knew of Samson and I knew of my father. And I wasn't going to trust either one of those situations. It was honestly, it was so bad when I actually shaved my head in Bible college, people were thanking me. They hated my hair that much. Samson puts himself into a place. Instead of listening to the Lord, he listened to his own desires. And I want to make a statement today about that. See, when you ignore God's instructions, you reject God's protection. When you ignore the instructions of the Lord, you are in essence saying, I don't need your protection. Does that mean when we serve the Lord that we don't get attacked? Listen, when you serve the Lord, you put a, you put a target on your back because the enemy is going to come at you. But the scripture says this, that no weapon formed against me will prosper. It doesn't, when you serve Jesus, it doesn't mean weapons won't be formed, but the promise is it will not prosper. And if you want the protection of the Lord, listen to the Lord. Get into the word. Lean into the spirit of God. Be a person of prayer. Go after God. And watch the protection of the Lord happen. Even Job, as bad as Job went through it, he still had the protection of God on his deep down upon his life. So Judges 21. I'm just going to read this. Have a little story time here. It says this, the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground mill in the prison, but the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered for, to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon for their God and to rejoice, and they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. 
And the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson, and out of the prison he he entertained them. They made him stand between two pillars. I'm gonna pause right there. What does it mean that they entertained there? In the Hebrew, the Hebrew doesn't signify, okay, did he do puppets? You know, did he do balloon animals? It wasn't anything of that sort. Most likely, they positioned him in such a way that he would be humiliated. Like one example, one commentator said they probably starved him, and so they put food in front of him and getting him with, bl- with, with blind eyes, gouge out eyes, trying to find that so he can actually feed himself. Or they would poke him, and he's trying to fight back, and he can't see who to fight back, and so it was a way just to simply mock him for who he is and what he had done to them. And it says, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And what that means there is there were five major cities, major, um, basically castles, fortified cities of the Philistines. All of the lords, the major leadership of all the Philistines was there. And Samson, verse 27, the house was full, 3,000 men and women there, and they looked while Samson entertained, and Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged and the Phil- uh, on the Philistines for my two eyes. We know the story so well. We know the story where Samson, he is humiliated, he is broken, he's failed. He has yet to really live up to what God has called him to. He's never lived up to what God saw in him. And he hasn't lived up to what his parents wanted him to do, what what his people wanted him to do. I don't know if you've ever failed in such a way where you haven't lived up to somebody's expectations. It happens. My guess is everybody in this room that you have failed to live up to somebody's expectations. Whether it was a coach, a parent, a friend, a relative, a neighbor, um, a pastor, a teacher. Somehow in your brain you fail to live up to their expectations. We have all been there. And this is Samson. And the big question when it comes to failure is how do you bounce back? How do you navigate the idea of failure? Failure is horrible. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody, but at the same time, we can't walk in fear of it. Now, if you've done premarital counseling with me, you've heard this story, so I apologize in advance to you, but back in eighth grade, I was failing eighth grade. I think it's very hard to fail eighth grade, but your pastor, don't challenge him, he'll do it. And so I'm walking home from school, and I'm and I remember opening up because they handed us our progress reports. There's mistake number one. I blame the school system for putting a failing progress report in the hands of a failing student. Because as I'm walking home, I open it up and my heart sank. And I can tell you where in our trailer park, what sewer I dropped that one down. I could show you. I know the street, I know the court I was at, I know the drain. And I told myself, I can get this fixed before the semester ends. Listen, when you've got goals and you've got purpose in your life, but you don't have the habits to back up those goals, you will never actually attain those goals. 
And when you've got something that God has placed in front of your life, man, we want God to give us callings. We want God to give miracles. But if we don't have, let our everyday habits fall in line with what God has called us to do, you will never achieve those things, but yet we still get mad at God. That's its own message right there. And so weeks pass, and all of a sudden, in the mail shows the report card. And Hal and Linda ain't happy. And so they talk with me. They are, they're mad at me, but you know who they're livid with? The school. Had we known weeks before, halfway through the semester, we could have gotten this straightened up. So they scheduled a meeting with my teachers. Guess what? I went from being in trouble to really being in trouble. This is why kids aren't the smartest creatures in the world, because as smart as I thought I was, we have life experience that does not exist where we just know better than our parents. Do you remember the days when you knew better than your parents? Man, I got someone clapping over here. And I remember my parents, they sat with my counselor, and all of a sudden for the next semester, I had to go in and get a piece of paper from my counselor, and at, at, at every class, I had to have the teacher write down what the homework was and sign it. I went home, my parents walked me through that every single day. They had to sign it and bring it back to my counselor to see that all the teachers signed it and my parents signed it, and they gave me a fresh piece of, piece of paper, Monday through Friday for an entire semester. It was humiliating, but for the first time in my life, got all A's and B's and not just in gym class. I know what it's like to fail. I know what it's like to struggle in class. I know what it's like to, to constantly say, hey, C's get degrees. Hallelujah. Hashtag Bible college. Today, what I want to do is this. In the few minutes I've got left, I want to help you to get all A's in failure. <laughs> it went quiet. I want to help you to get all A's in failure. I'm going to give you, this is what preachers do, I'm going to give you five words that begin with the letter A. I want to help you to bounce back from failure. What we see at the end of his life, of Samson's life, is that which was failure after failure after fail, failure, and his goal was to bounce back. This was his prayer. Don't let it end this way. Don't let it end this way. So if you're taking notes, here, I want you to write down, I want you to write down some words here. So number one, the first, the first A word that we're going to give you is the word anticipation. Anticipation. What does the word anticipation mean? It means this. It means a confident expectation of something about to happen. Anticipation. Now, when I was youth pastoring in Midland, I, uh, I have never, ever coached and of, on a football team, a position for which I've played. Why coaches always handed me positions I've never played, I do not know. I've never, I've never been a receiver. I've been a running back. And so something that I used to do with my students is this, is first of all, I teach my, I teach my freshmen how to catch. You're saying, well, everyone, everybody should know how to catch. I agree, but let me just tell you, freshmen act like freshmen during football practice, and some of you know what that means. And so we had to teach them things like put your thumbs together, Stick your hands up, and when the ball hits your hand, it wraps right around. It's that simple. Parents, I just gave you the simple way to teach your kids how to catch a football. Thumbs together, hands go up, ball hits, and it just wraps around. Don't catch it in your gut, your chest, your face mask. And so that's, I would teach things like that. The other thing that I taught was the stance. That when you're standing on the line waiting for the ball to be hiked, 
You stand with your feet set like this and your hands up and ready. And what we would tell them is we need you in a state of anticipation because quite often what people would do is when they're standing on the line and the ball is hiked, you know what people do usually? They step back to step forward. And what we wanted was them to live every single game on their tippy toes. That's anticipation. Because when the ball is hiked, we wanted them to be in such a stance, as soon as that ball is hiked, their first movement is forward. I think too often as, as Christians that we are not prepared for what God's going to do. And sometimes we're surprised that God is going to do something. We need Christians who are ready to live on their tiptoes in anticipation of what God is going to do. Does failure happen? Do bad things happen? Does attack from the enemy happen? Yes, they do. But listen, our first step is not back trying to protect ourselves. Our first step is to move forward and begin to say, this is who God is in me. This is the spirit of God working in my life. God Give me a body of believers that has an anticipation that God is about to do something big. And I want to live on my toes. I want to live in this place that when the enemy does come in like a flood, that I don't have to cower. Why? Because the scripture says in Psalms 23 that I can walk through valleys. He is with me. And if he's with me, I can step forward first. Anticipation. It is so easy to get lost in failure. It's easy to get lost into the abyss of failure. It's easy to just forget who we are. And I believe, I believe, I want to encourage parents this morning. I believe there's something about Samson living in his darkness. He is blind. He is pushing a mill. And there's, I believe there's just something there. As he is thinking about his life, I believe he's remembering what his parents told him since he was born. This is who you're called to be. This is who God is. This is what he wants to do in your life. And I believe that some Something about that moment that he dug deep down in his spirit and he began to remember what his parents imparted in his life. Mom and dad, if you've got a, if you've got a wayward child, and I say this because my sister has walked away from the Lord. If you've got a wayward child, I want you to trust and have faith in the Lord that he who began a good work, he will carry it through. That the, the years of sowing into their life is not in vain. I'm believing that in some day, some moment, some year, that God is going to unearth the seeds that were sown. That you thought the labor was in vain, but God is the one that creates the harvests. And I believe there's a harvest coming. Your children are going to come back to Jesus. Your grandkids are going to come back to Jesus. Your loved ones are going to come back to Jesus. I prophetically say, your spouse is going to come back to Jesus. Does it hurt? Is it painful? We get it in the parent family, but we have a faithful God. And sometimes in the darkness, you got to put a foot forward in anticipation. So starve your fear and feed anticipation. Number two. Number two, I told myself I want to get charismatic today. Number two, sorry, it just hurts. Number two, acceptance. Acceptance. I I wrote this down. Accept where you are and just be real with it. Some of us need to take a hard look at reality. Listen, I I have gone toe-to-toe with some people when it comes to the issue of faith. And I've had people tell me that do, do do not, do not, do not admit the pain that you're in right now. Don't give power to your pain. But listen, faith doesn't ignore reality. Faith recognizes reality, but also recognizes that there is hope in the midst of that reality. 
Man, I had some lady pull me aside. It was about 2016 when I just came forward. Um, I remember writing my first blog about my, my journey through depression. And a lady pulled me aside after church. She says, you got to stop saying that you deal with depression. You don't deal with depression. The Lord has, the Lord has saved you and redeemed you. I'm like, listen, I, I believe in the second portion of that. But the reality is this is part of my life and my testimony. And do I believe that God can and will save me ultimately through it? I do believe it. But until then, I will admit not just what I'm facing, but I will admit the greater reality that God is with me. He will help me. I have no problem accepting my per- current reality. But just as much as that, I have a greater acceptance of the greater reality that he is able to rescue me. That's acceptance. It's not denying reality. It's accepting his reality. It is the difference between I have failed and I am a failure. I have failed says I've screwed up. 13 years here, I can give you a massive list and we can stay here till next Sunday telling you all the ways I've failed as a pastor or as a husband, some of you listen to my marriage podcast and some of you have literally thanked me. Thank you for failing because it helps teach me what not to do. I'm like, that's what I'm here for. But acceptance is looking. I have failed, but I have a redeemer. I have failed, but I've got a healer. I have failed, but I've got one that will walk me through, that will, walk, that will teach me, that will help me, that will, that will strengthen me and guide me through these moments. I love what Max Licato says. He says, you'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish. Don't be naive. But don't despair either. With God's help, you will get through this. Some of you, some of you need to turn to your neighbor right now and say, you will get through this. For the six people that actually listen to me, thank you for doing that. Your neighbor thanks you for doing that. You're going to get through it. Acceptance. Here's what I'm dealing with, but here's who's dealing with it with me. Number three, write down the word agency. Godblesssynonym.com for their help with me uh, this week. Agency. What is agency? It is the capacity, condition, or state of acting or exerting power. It is the ability to act as an effective agent for yourself. It's the ability to make choices that influence your life. Uh, A couple uh, doctors from Harvard said this, agency is what allows you to pause, evaluate, and act when you face a challenge. Why do we bring up agency? Because when you fail, failure brings a sense of a loss of agency. It says, there's nothing I can do about this. I have failed. I have no ability to act. I have no will uh, to move forward. I have no ability, I have no power to move me from beyond this failure. When you fail, I mean, Samson right there, he is pushing a grain mill, and this is his lot in life. And I still believe there's just something about that stubble, because the scripture talks about the stubble begin to grow on his head. And I I begin to just believe that as he's feeling that hair growing back, he's remembering the faithfulness of God, and he's also recognizing an agency that is within him. Because failure wants to blind you to the agency that says you can't make it, you can't make decisions, you can't move forward, you'll never do this, you'll never accomplish it, the marriage will never happen, but give me people that will have agency, that will have faith in Jesus, that will say this, I still have breath in my lungs. I still have faith inside my spirit. Even if it's a mustard-sized seed of faith, I still have enough to move mountains in me. Give me agency-filled Christians that can still call out to God, that can, that can still believe that God will meet us in our darkness. Psalm 120 verse 1 says this, 
in my distress, I called to the Lord. And here's the most important part. He heard me. Give me agency. The ability to do something. Failure said you can't do anything about it. But the reality is you can't always do things about the things that you could have done things about. But you can still do things now. Don't let fear paralyze you because the hair is growing back. Did I, did I lose my mic? There we go. There is symbolism that tells us that God's faithfulness has not left and God's not done with you yet. Some of us have the spirit of Uncle Rico. You remember that great gospel movie, Napoleon Dynamite? If you've never seen Napoleon Dynamite, if you like a movie with a phenomenal plot, do not watch Napoleon Dynamite. But Uncle Rico, who the lions probably need at this point, Uncle Rico, what does he say through the entire movie? He's watching video of himself throwing a ball, saying, if I could just go back to high school, man, I could throw a football over the mountains. If I could just go back, if I could just go back, God, God is going to have a struggle working with a church that's just playing games with what we could have done. He needs a church that is ready with anticipation and an agency to say, there could be more. And there is more. Today is the day to move. Not tomorrow, not the next, not someday. Today is the day of what we could do today and right now, which leads me toward number four. And the word is audacity. All A's here. Audacity. Audacity is a sense of gall. It's moxie. It's grit. It's courage. Paul wrote these words. God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. But one of love, power, and a sound mind. I'm talking about audacity. Audacity to move forward. Audacity to look at fear in the right way. I wrote it this way. Faith doesn't always prevent failure, but it puts failure in a different frame. Some of us have looked at our, our fear, and we've allowed fear to frame our life and to frame our identity. But I need people to have the audacity to look at their failures and begin to reframe their failures as something they will learn from, something they will grow from, something that is a moment and not their identity. I need a church with the audacity that will move forward, a church that with the audacity to speak life when no one else will speak life, the church with the audacity to show kindness when nobody else will show kindness, audacity to call out hate where there's hate, to call out injustice where there's injustice. Give me a church with the audacity to take a stand and not just be continually be, be run over by the culture at hand. I need church with audacity. And number five, and lastly, I need a church with authority. Authority. What does this mean, authority? It's to yield to God's authority and to walk in God's authority. To yield to God's authority and to walk in his authority. Some of us have to come to understand that what we want and what God wants is totally different at times. And walking is in God's authority is not walking in a way, well, if I want this, then God will give it to me. Therefore, God's authority is on this. Some of us need to seek first the kingdom. 
Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We've had churches ruin that scripture because if I delight myself in the Lord, God gives me whatever I want. No, 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 no. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you, put inside of you desires. And it's there we discover authority. I love what Aaron Rodgers says. He's, the author says this, we will never get to be over those things that God has set under us till we learn to come under what God has set over us. We, we yield to his authority and we walk in God's authority. And this brings us back to Samson. Verse 28. Samson called out to the Lord and he said, Lord, please remember me and strengthen me only this once that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. He talks with God. And perhaps for the first time in our story in five weeks, we get a very honest prayer from Samson. He recognizes he needs God's strength. He recognizes he has done everything. All of his victories were not done by his ability. It was done from the Lord. And what he does in, the, in one motion is he pushes down pillars and he takes out more Philistines in one moment than all of his other feats combined. Now, this is what I find cool. In the Old Testament, there are three main words used for God. There is Adonai, Yahweh, and Jehovah, excuse me, Elohim. Jehovah would be the fourth word. Adonai, Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah. In this prayer, verse 28, he uses three of the four. So it would read this way. Master, covenant-keeping God of Israel, strong one, grant me the strength. And what I think is really cool about this moment and the wording that he uses for God is what I find is Samson in his most desperate moment repented. He didn't, take, he didn't take the Lord for granted. That's earlier in the chapter where it said that he went out to deal with the Philistines like he had done before and didn't realize the Spirit of God had left him. And in his moment of weakness, he cries out, Adonai, Yahweh, Elohim, Master, covenant-keeping God, strong one. I didn't keep my covenant, but you do. I didn't. I want to be my own master, but you are my master. I haven't been always the strongest, but you are the strong one. You see, you can face failure in one of two ways. You can walk in regret or you can walk in repentance. And what does he teach us in this last moment of his life? He teaches us that everything begins, and honestly, in my opinion, kind of ends in repentance. Repentance is more than being sorry about your sin. I think we've done a disservice with repentance it's just simply being sorry. Repentance means we do the 180 and we fix our face like flint and we follow after the Lord. How do you get all A's in failure? You walk in anticipation of what he's going to do. You accept, this is what I'm facing, but I know who's facing this with me. I have an agency that's willing to start making decisions and to move my life out of this. I will have the audacity to trust in the Lord and step forward in faith and I will yield to his authority while learning as I do that, I can now walk in his authority. And I believe as we navigate failure, God will use your present failure in preparation for your ultimate success.
if we will allow our lives to trust in him. Would you bow your heads? The keyboardists can join me. Just help me wrap up. I just want to pray over every, every human that's listening, whether you're watching online or you're watching here at, at K-First at the building. I just want to speak life because I just feel in this atmosphere that there are individuals this morning that you feel like you are breaking underneath the pressure and the weight of a failure. And the failure may not have happened this week. It may not have happened uh, yesterday or three days ago or a month ago or a year ago. But there, I believe there are some people here this morning that you are, you feel like your life is just living on a thread, ready to break. It's because of a failure that happened, a, seems like a lifetime ago. But for you, it's still fresh. Boy, I've sat in my counseling chambers with people watching them just breaking, breaking, breaking because of a decision that they wish that they could take back 10 years, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. I have seen disastrous moments that have crippled people for decades. And this morning, I want to invite you to the place of freedom. Because I believe the spirit of the of the Lord is here and if you're here today and you need freedom from that failure I'm not going to say you're going to walk away from here never ever thinking about that failure but this morning I'm praying that the Lord is going to begin to reframe that failure because inside your spirit this may sound weird but I believe the stubble is growing faith is going to start growing again you're going to remember the master, the covenant keeper, the strong one that is with you and for you, that's calling you forward. But for some reason in the past, this failure, whatever it may be, has been holding you back. And today we're going to pray over you. We're going to speak life over you. I'm going to speak healing over you. We're going to pronounce freedom over your life. And the reason why I do heads bowed and eyes closed is because there's something about turning my eyes off of any one person and I can look on the inside and recognize I need to make a decision for me. So if you're here today and maybe you are dealing with a present, current failure, or maybe something that's happened in the past and you're just ready for healing, you're ready for freedom, you're just ready for some deliverance in the house today, I want you to take a massive step of faith. Would you stand to your feet? You're dealing with a failure that you just have not been able to get over. Would you just stand to your feet? Thank you for standing. This is awesome. Some of the youngest people in the room right now are standing. That is astounding to me. You are astounding individuals. Anybody else, you're just dealing with some failure. Could we do this? Could you lift up your heads? And if you see people standing, could you just gather around them? You can go ahead, ask, ask their name. Do not ask them what the failure is. That is none of your business. But would you just gather around these individuals? We need some prayer warriors just kind of moving out. Shame is a horrible taskmaster. It is a horrible taskmaster. And right now, we're just going to speak faith. 
And if you're praying around those individuals, would you just begin, let them hear you pray. Begin to speak freedom and deliverance over them in Jesus' name. Let's develop some anticipation in their hearts today. Some agency that they would begin to see. They have choices to make. Current choices, current healthy choices to make. Begin to speak life over them. And that's what we do this morning, Lord, is we just speak life over every human being that's standing. We speak over those that maybe, maybe felt ashamed to stand, felt like they couldn't stand. Lord, even those watching or listening online to the podcast or on YouTube or Facebook or wherever they're at, God, I pray over people driving in the car right now, people watching at home, that, Lord, are dealing with some inner turmoil and some inner pain. Lord, what we say is we say, Master, Sovereign Lord, Healer, Deliverer, One who is strong, I pray that in this moment, in this place, I pray that you would begin to remove the shame. And I pray that hope would rise. I remember the disciples ask you, Jesus, said, increase our faith that we might believe. Lord, I pray that in these moments for these individuals that faith would begin to increase and rise in their hearts. That they would not see their life in the shadow of their failure, but they would see life in the shadow of their Redeemer that calls them forward, that gives them deliverance, that meets them in their place, that brings the broken, fractured areas to together for the glory of the Son of God. Lord, I speak against shame and guilt. Lord, I pray, put to death every lie from the devil that has told them they will never recover. They will never make it forward. They will never move forward. They will never become this. They will never recoup from that. Lord, we begin to put to death every work of the adversary. And Lord, we say, let the Lord rise and the enemy scattered in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that the strength that caused pillars to go down uh, there in the book of Judges chapter 16, God, that strength would rise and they begin to knock away every blockade that has set itself up against them. Not because of their own power, it's because they've yielded to yours and they're going to walk in yours now. These are your sons and your daughters, your children. And Lord, we won't take this stuff lying down. These are your people. These are miracles standing around us. So Lord, I speak over them life and life abundant. I speak over them a ceasing, I just feel led to say this, a ceasing of the nightmares, the night terrors that have never gone away. I say in the name of Jesus, be free. Be delivered. Be made whole. Lord, for every human voice that wants to remind them of their failure, I pray the voice of the Spirit of God would be louder in their ear, that they would know who they are and whose they are. They belong to you. So Lord, we just place your hand by faith over their lives. That Lord, you would strengthen them when they're weak. That you would breathe life into them when they feel like they've got no breath left. That you would give them hope God, that they would begin to see their marriage in a different way. Their children in a different way. Their work in a different way. Life in a different way. Not as a failure, but as a conqueror. Your word says that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I speak that spirit into their hearts, into their lives. And we speak it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
as you stand with them, because everyone stand in the house, can we give God a huge hand clap of praise for what he's done this morning? And if you need prayer after the service, at the end of our hallway is our prayer room. We've got prayer team members who are there ready to pray with you and pray for you. If we could be of any encouragement to you in your walk with Jesus Christ, we would love to do that. Pastor Cameron, would you come up and close our service?